Welcome to The Honest Report, a weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. The condemnation of Kanye West is reaching fever pitch, intensifying after he was banned from Twitter for this anti-Semitic tweet. DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. Now one of the biggest names in sports facing backlash for spreading anti-Semitism, NBA star Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets, shared a link last week on social media to a 2018 film that's been described as anti-Semitic. Here's your host, Rob Walker. Beginning primarily in the late 1940s, hundreds of thousands of individuals living in the Middle East were expelled from their homes under threat of violence, and on occasion, more than just threats. And while the image that may come to mind for some people are Arab refugees who left Israel following the Jewish state's independence in 1948, these refugees in fact were Jews, Jews who left their homes in Arab countries and Iran in the 1940s and 1950s. In all, more than 850,000 Jews from across the region left under threatening conditions or outright expelled, leaving behind millennia of history, as well as huge amounts of assets, which they gave up in exchange for their safety. But despite this incredible experience, the trials of Jews from Arab lands is little known. To help us unpack why and explain what needs to be done to raise awareness for this important issue is Sylvain Abotbo. Born in Morocco, he is a Montreal businessman who currently serves as co-president for the organization Justice for Jews from Arab Countries. And he previously served as co-president of the Canadian Jewish Congress from 2007 to 2009. Welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Sylvain Abotbo, welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Thank you. Happy to be with you. It is very much our pleasure. You are uh, you have a senior uh, leadership role uh, with an organization called Justice for Jews from Arab Countries. Um, and your the, the organization has a number of mandates, uh, including representing the interests of Jews from Arab countries, recognizing the legacy of Jewish refugees from Arab countries, um, you know, recording their testimonies and so on and so forth. Um, the as I'm sure you don't need to be told, you know better than us that the reality and the history of Jews who left Arab countries um, in you know the 1940s and the 1950s is tremendously unknown in the Western world. Uh, why is that? Well, first, let me tell you that Jews have been living in, in Arab countries for millennia. I mean, I can go dates, but you know, in 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 Algeria, the first and second century uh, CE, Egypt. 1300 years BCE, uh, Iraq, six centuries. So it's for centuries we've both been living in those countries. Then, as you know, uh, after the 1947, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the independence of Israel created a, a very strong reaction on the part of Arab countries, which in various conditions uh, expelled or got rid or forced their people, their Jewish people, to live. What's not known? I guess, as it is often the case, it takes time for people to talk, to produce reports, to generate in, uh, interest. And that's why JJAC has been very active for the last 20 years in A, collecting information, putting together a coalition of organizations, setting up an agenda, and coming out with a very, very well planned of action. So I guess uh, the plan of action consisted on two phases. The first one is understanding what happened. Second one is what do you make of this information? 
So I don't know if I had answered your question, but I think we are now going to a point where it will be explained, it will be divulged, and it will be uh, known and sent to everybody who is interested in this subject. But it is a very important subject, which has been, I mean, in the, in the, in the words of Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper, who I, I met many times as a co-president of a Canadian Jewish Congress and in my other functions at JJAC, we have been qualified as being the forgotten refuge. So let's back up just for a moment here, um, because you touched on something which I think makes the history of Jews from Arab countries all the more remarkable, which is they didn't just show up yesterday. They have millennia of history. How did, sort of in a nutshell, how did Jews end up in lands such as Morocco and Egypt and Lebanon and Yemen and even Iran, which is not an Arab country, but nevertheless frequently included under that category? How did they end up in 2,000, 2,500 years ago in these lands? Well, listen, uh, the first element, uh, uh, Jews have always been merchants. Uh, even during biblical times, you had a strong uh, Jewish presence uh, uh, in Europe. In, in, I mean, they had what we called counters. Uh, uh, they were doing business. So they ended up, a lot of them ended up before the expulsion from, from Israel 2,000 years ago. They were living in countries like Egypt. Egypt has, had always had a very strong Jewish presence. In every other country, it happened after the Roman expulsion. I mean, uh, uh, maybe, I don't know if you know, but uh, Emperor and Ajian focused everything he could to, to, to defeat the Jews. The Jews were the only nation resisting Rome. And he sent his most powerful armies, decimated the country, expelled, exiled the, uh, the, uh, the inhabitants, and irony of irony, decided to change the name of the country by giving the name of Philistina, which is based on the names of the Philistines, who were the arch enemies of the Jews. So it was called Philistina, Palestine, based on the fact that we're the, about the Philistines. So not only it was a, a physical eradication, it was also a, a historical eradication, it was also a, an emotional eradication. So Jews were expelled and went all over the world. Now, Jews in Iraq came even before that, 25, 2600 years ago, correct? Oh, yeah. In, 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 well, in, in Iran, you mean, or in Iraq? In Iraq, Iraq. In Iraq, they started the. Listen, they've always been Jews in Babylon. I mean, Jews were living in Babylon, uh, Babylonia, I have the story of Esther, but the. You had a strong presence in Iraq starting at the 6th century, which is almost at the time when uh, Prophet Muhammad came into history. So uh, there is this mixture of influences around the, the Middle East on, on the Jews. But otherwise, it happened after the expulsion by, by, the, by the Romans. And so by the time we're in the 1930s, um, you know, 1940s, you know, around the World War II, how many Jews were living in this area, broadly defined as between Morocco and Iran, excluding the land of Palestine? About a million people. And so tell us a little bit how this, how this exodus took place and what were some of the factors that were leading up to it? A New York Times headline from May 1948 summarized the situation aptly. Jews in grave danger in all Muslim lands, 900,000 in Africa and Asia face wrath of their foes. Okay, in 1948, there were exactly 856 
thousand Jews living in this region except in Iran. And today you don't have more than four thousand Jews living in those countries in any of those countries combined. So the bulk of them left, were expelled, uh, but left basically or were forced to leave uh, in the just after the creation of the state of Israel. And so what was it? I mean, there were many um, anti-Semitic pogroms that were taking place in Morocco. There were a couple after, just after Israel's independence. There was the Farhud in Baghdad. Uh, How much of this had to do with Israel's independence and wanting to throw the Jews out versus uh, just using it as a convenient opportunity versus looking at the Holocaust and saying, maybe we can emulate that? I mean, can you give us a little bit of understanding in terms of what some of these causes and what some of the motivations uh, of these leaders uh, to try to throw the Jews out, whether by violence or, you know, just the threat of violence even? Well, of course, it varies from country to country. But nevertheless, Jews had never lived well in any of those countries. They were dinghies, second-class citizens, paying a tribute. Now, what happened after 1947, 1948, in some countries you had expropriation, you have stripped of the national nationality in Egypt, for instance. In Morocco, for instance, nobody, I mean, Jews were not forced to leave, were not uh, assets, were not sale, uh, were not seized. However, the climate was such that 250,000 Jews who lived in Morocco, most of them left because of the conditions. Now, you didn't have any, any uh, uh, rules from the government against the Jews, but of course you have big demonstrations in the streets. But we had programs. In every country we had programs at one point or another. And so these refugees left, of course, uh, two-thirds of them went to Israel. Many went all over, including people like you, to, uh, to Canada, to Montreal. Um, but there is very little known about these refugees today. Tell us about some of the challenges that, uh, that you faced and some of the, I'm sure, blank expressions that you've endured when trying to educate uh, not just members of the public, but, uh, but politicians and decision-makers about you know, the uh, the history of the Jewish people from the Middle East and what happened to them in the 40s and 50s? Yeah, I'll answer that very simply. I mean, Resolution 242, which came after the creation of the State of Israel, the, the mandate uh, to cut Palestine into two uh, for two countries, two for two people, talked about refugees, not Palestinian refugees, not Arab refugees, refugees, including Jews, Arabs, and Christians. So we were refugees. However, however, in any in any country where we landed, mostly in Israel, we were not put in camps. We were not put aside. We decided to roll our, to roll our sleeves and work. This is what we did. Nobody complained. We forgot about it. Okay, money has been seized. Let's go to work and rebuild our lives as we've been doing it for thousands of years. Now. In the case of the Arabs, they were put in camps by their brothers and dealt with poverty and handing them billions of dollars since 1948, to what extent? The the Arabs that decided to stay in Israel live in way, way, way better condition than the uh, the other Arabs. So we rolled our sleeves and we started to work and rebuild our life from scratch, from scratch. So what is needed to help 
retain and help preserve the memory of uh, of Jewish civilization uh, from Arab countries and and ultimately how it ended. Um, is it museums? Is it testimonies? Is it uh, legislation and making sure that countries recognize it? What's what's needed to really preserve it? So uh, you raised a very good point, which was the object of our first phase. Uh, when you look at, as, it, as I said before, the uh, Resolution 242, which says that Jews from Arab lands are also refugees, we needed to get uh, the official status of refugee by some government. In 2008, in April 1st, 2008, the U.S., there, were, there has been a, 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 a rare display of bipartisanship from congressmen who voted Resolution 185, which claims that it would be inappropriate and unjust for the U.S. to recognize rights for Palestinian refugees without recognizing equal rights for former Jews, Christian, and other refugees from Arab countries. It was a new official endorsement of the status of refugee for Jews from Arab lands. It was followed by the Canadian government. I made representation at the U.N. in New York. I made representation in the U.N. in Geneva. We met also the House of Lords, where we met also, uh, uh, we, we basically uh, asked for the same recognition by the House of Lords, by the French Parliament uh, in Italy. So we, our first phase was, let's officially be qualified as refugees if we want to have equal rights as Palestinians. Having said that, the next step is what we have been doing over the last five years. Five years ago, we had an anonymous donation to A, write the history of all the Jews from all the countries, Arab countries, and estimate the value of the losses that the Jews incurred from each one of those countries. In that process, we went through a, 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 an IFQ, we selected a firm to do the qualitative and quantitative study. Uh, this study is almost finished now, it's being audited, so the, the ultimate goal is to come out with profile of every country. This is a story of the Jews in that country. This is what happened to the Jews of that country. This is how much money in a communal, communal uh, assets, schools, buildings, businesses have been lost in 40 years. So this is underway. The ultimate objective of this is to have another narrative, A, be education. We will send this report to every single school, every single institution. It's going to be available free of charge on our, on our website. So the story of those Jews will be made available in a well-formatted, well-studied, well-documented uh, uh, document. And so you, you touched on this, but the Jews who left these countries in the 40s and 50s, they... Uh, you know, they didn't do so necessarily out of their own free volition. They felt the uh, the sword was at their throats, and they left behind a tremendous amount uh, of of their assets, nothing but the shirt on their backs. How much in assets, uh, in your estimation, was left by these Jews who fled? Listen, uh, the study is under under evaluation. I don't want to divulge any number, although I know the numbers. But we're talking a huge amount of in the billions and billions and billions of dollars. And after the Holocaust, of course, there have been tremendous efforts and success. Uh, you know, Germany, uh, you know, of course, uh, the Claims Conference, uh, Germany providing restitution uh, to uh, victims, and, and uh, even recently, uh, 
Judaica providing it, uh, you know, to their descendants uh, are all around the world. Uh, have there been any efforts or even acknowledgement uh, in terms of what happened for many of these Arab countries? Nothing. Nothing happened. I mean, I think the ultimate goal of this study is first, education. Second, to tell all those countries, this is what you lost by getting rid of your Jews. This is how much money, how much wealth has been developed by a few thousand people. A small minority of your own population which created so much wealth that you lost. And then what can happen after, after that? I don't know. We have many, many uh, ideas. But at the, end of, at the end of the day, it's education. And it's qualifying and quantifying also the losses. Do you ever see a future, uh, particularly as Israel starts to develop relations with more Arab countries, that any of these Arab states may come clean and recognize and perhaps even apologize for what took place 75 years ago? I don't know. I, I don't know. Listen, first, we're so happy about the Abraham Accords. Uh, I think it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, opportunity for reconciliation. Uh, but the fact has been to be recognized. I mean, even if we make peace with a, a country that expelled your Jews, like it is a case of Egypt, we have to acknowledge what happened. But let me, uh, let me quote what uh, former President Clinton said. He said the following, there will have to be some sort of international fund set up for the refugees. There is, I think, some interest, interestingly enough, on both sides in having a fund which compensates the Israelis who were made refugees by the war, which occurred after the birth of the state of Israel. Israel is full of people, Jewish people who live in predominantly Arab countries who came to Israel because they were made refugees in their own land. This is in the words of President Clinton. Listen, maybe a, a conference of conflict resolution on saying after billions of dollars that were given by 39 agencies of the UN to the Palestinian exclusively. Not a dime, not an agency who looked at the losses of the Jews. Maybe it's about time to say, let's change the game and let's sit down together on the same table and say, you've lost, we've lost. We have roughly the same population that was affected. You got billions of dollars. How about us? How about us? Well, uh, Savannah, I think what you're doing is uh, tremendously important to raise awareness for uh, history and not just history, but for uh, the expulsion of Jews that, uh, as you say, has not only been uh, unrecorded and unacknowledged in many quarters, but uh, when you compare it certainly to uh, the Palestinian uh, Arab refugees in 1948 uh, lavished with uh, groups like UNRWA uh, and billions of dollars in uh, United Nations, uh, I think that the difference is all that more uh, telling and profound. So. Uh, thank you very much. And how can people find out more information and see this report when it's finalized? Uh, well, well, it will be advertised. Uh, it will be, uh, you said, we're going to have probably a press conference. Uh, we, we will have a, a media uh, a program for that. And again, uh, I'd like to, really to stress that the ultimate goal of this thing is to change the narrative, to make people aware, even our own people, even Jews are not aware of that. In our schools, we talk about the Holocaust, of course, right? It's a tragedy, tragedy. Nothing, you cannot compare the, 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 the Shoah to what the Jews of Arab land experienced. However, it is also just a dramatic experience that we lived through 
that has to be known and taught to our people, to the rest of the world. Thank you so much for your time, Ms. Sylvana Butpo. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.